If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, then you might have noticed that we have a different intro. That's because we're looking for new sponsors for the show. Not only can you get custom shoutouts during ad breaks, but you can also add your links and messaging in the show notes. Not only that, but we will work with you to create a custom package according to your needs. It's everything you need to market your event, course, or service all in one place. Go to rebrand.ly slash C-I-I-R-E to get started. You can also help sustain future episodes with a small monthly donation by clicking the link directly in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe. And as always, if you feel motivated, uplifted, or inspired anywhere along this episode, please take a screenshot and tag me at Joanne C. Tan on Instagram because I would love to repost you. And also don't forget to give this podcast a positive review. So if you're a landlord who self-manages like me, you might have wished for a software that does it all. Today's guest, Lawrence, is the co-founder of Avail, an all-in-one software solution designed for do-it-yourself Prior to launching Avail, Lawrence spent seven years in data analytics as a consultant and then at Goldman Sachs. Lawrence is also a long-term real estate investor with a passion for three-unit multifamily properties in Chicago. Welcome back to the Crushing It in Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Joanne Tan, and I'm super excited to welcome Lawrence to the show. Hi, Lawrence. Hi. How are you? Thank you so much for having me on. Yes, thank you so much for being on the show. Do you want to start off by letting the audience know how you got started in real estate? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, probably like most people who first get started, started off somewhat small. Um, I bought a three-unit building here in Chicago. Hard to call it a building because it's really just, it's really small. Um, But uh, I had a friend who was getting married and they were moving out of town and um, they were looking to sell their three unit or so asked me if I wanted to look at it. And I had never been involved in real estate before that. And, um, so I thought about it. I'm like, this is a good opportunity to kind of get into it. This is something I've always wanted to do. And this was kind of forcing me or pushing me in that direction. So, um, felt like a good time. So I went to go look at it. Um, it was in pretty decent shape. Um, at the asking price I thought was below market value and we didn't use a real estate agent. So the opportunity was really good. Um, bought the three flat from my friend and um, he actually became my first tenant in one of the units for uh, six, seven months while he was uh, planning and moving and everything. So easy transition because I knew I had a good tenant in there who was familiar with the building. Uh, in a lot of ways, I think I got lucky with my first one. Yeah, that worked out so well. I wish my friends would just, you know, uh, hit me up with good deals <laughs> like that all the time. Yeah, would here's you- a below market opportunity. Come and get it. <laughs> Right. Plus they'll rent from you too. It's like yeah, perfect combo. Would you recommend um, doing that again? Maybe if you could restart your real estate career, would you buy from friends um, in the future or would you do that again? Yeah, no, I'd hundred percent buy from friends again. Um, it was a really easy process. Um, now sometimes money can get in the way, but I, I feel like with something like this, there's an asking price and I'm either willing to pay it or not. So you're not really haggling a lot. Um, if during an inspection, you're the kind who's going to ask for a lot of things and maybe you don't want to buy from a friend just because you don't want to create bad will there. Um, but I'd seen it ahead of time and I think we were both uh, flexible on what was happening. So it's good. 
The only change I would make is probably not wait for the opportunity to arise. And for me, I was scared to get started. So I just never did until this came about. Um, for listeners who don't own their first place, um, as uh, first rental place, I would suggest they start as soon as they can, as early as they can, um, get their feet, you know, in the door, so to speak, and uh, start that practice early. Because once you get started, you realize that it's not as much effort as everyone thinks it is. There's not as much risk as everyone thinks it is. It's actually kind of fun managing a rental property. Um, you, you feel like a lot more grown up, especially if like, I got started young. So uh, it helped mature me in a big way. So I get started earlier if they can. Yeah, for most of the people that I talk to, they mm. feel like their number one regret is they didn't start sooner. They yeah, that's whatever. mine as well. Right. It sounds like exactly like you, you know, maybe you let some fear or whatever get in the way of starting sooner. So it sounds like if you could do it again, you wouldn't wait for the opportunity to come up. You would just jump in. Yeah. I mean, I, I was afraid of the same thing people tell me now. Oh, how are you a landlord? Aren't you afraid of 3 a.m. phone calls? And I was. I was totally afraid of 3 a.m. phone calls. And now it's been almost 10 years and I have not received one phone call at 3 a.m. or anything around there. And uh, it just comes down to because my tenants are asleep. You know, they're not awake at 3 a.m. to be calling me. So I feel like there was, it was something I was afraid of that just didn't mean anything. Right. I think a lot of times um, it's more what's in our head that's stopping yeah. us than reality. So what was the most difficult thing that came up that you did have to actually deal with, if not the 3 a.m. phone calls? Yeah, well, this is a long time ago now. Um, well, when I first bought it, you bought it from the friend. And then there ended up being a lot more deferred maintenance on it than I had originally thought. Um, it's never ending in a way. And then I came in with like more of a, a want. I would live in a place like this. Um, and so I wanted to get, modernize it, make it a little nicer, even though I was never going to live there. I wanted to, I had the mindset that tenants needed a certain level of quality um, to want to rent and live in it and stay long term. So I spent a lot of time just fixing it up myself, working with some contractors to fix it up, spending money. Um, that can get into a vicious cycle as well. There's a delicate balance there between how much you want to upgrade it and how much um, deferred maintenance you want to get rid of as soon as possible. So that was a big challenge um, doing that and struggling that, uh, balancing that struggle. Um, and then, you know, when I got the second building, um, that's when things started to get even more complicated a little bit. I was starting to get lost as to um, I had a maintenance ticket. I forget which unit it was. So those things started to compound when I, when I added the second three units. Gotcha. Yeah, I think a lot of times we maybe um, get caught up a, a little bit personally attached to the properties that we own and we think like, oh, we want to make it like so nice or just the way we yeah. want it. But that may not necessarily reflect what your tenant needs or wants at all. So how do you balance that now, you know, and not over renovate a place? Yeah, well, certainly you know, it's easy to over renovate a place for sure uh, and costly. Um, it's a tough balance that I don't think anyone's done perfectly yet. Um, one of the things to look at that I look at now is like the comparables in the market and what are they at, both in terms of price and how upgraded are they. And you want to kind of stay in that same ballpark. And if you're going to over upgrade, you want to make sure that there are comparables in the area um, at that new upgrade tier. And then you can raise your rents in accordance with that. Um, if you find that you're going way above um, what rent you would expect given for the upgrades, then you're probably overdoing it and you're not going to get that money back. So um, looking at comparables is probably the best way to know if you're going to over upgrade or not. 
So yeah, instead of, you know, letting your gut be the decision mm-hmm. maker, just trust the comps and what you see other people doing. Yeah. And sometimes like you may choose finishes that just aren't neutral enough for a wide audience in a way. Like I know, um, like in the past, you know, you tend to think of like generations, like my parents had decorated their house in like, uh, rose, like colored wood and gold fixtures. And nobody would want to rent that now, you know? And, um, now today there's a lot of people really like matte black or some of the metals and those kinds of things. And that may age out too. So as a landlord, you want to, if you're going to upgrade, you want to try to stay as timeless as possible as well. So you're not constantly having to redo it. Yeah, that's a great tip. You know, I'm so curious, Lawrence, why are you so into three units above anything else? Yeah, maybe that's a weird description to have in the bio. Um, um, I've got two, three uniters, and I think it's more of a factor of just where I'm located. Um, I tend to buy properties closer to me so I can manage them and see them. Um, one of the, the nice things about real estate is it's a physical asset. And if I bought something that was out of town, it, it kind of erodes some of the realness of it to me. So I buy things that are close to me and I live in Chicago. So Chicago is um, famous for having beautiful brownstones and gray stones and they tend to all be three flats and um, it's just a, a nature of what is available here. The other thing that's available are condos. And so you could buy a condo and rent one of those out, but the uh, unit economics of those don't make sense as much. So um, at least with a three flat, you get a small amount of economy of scale um, where it becomes affordable and you can actually make some profit on your property. Right. Yeah. At least you own it and you don't have to answer to like an HOA with a condo, right? Exactly. Right. And then, you know, the HOA is also deciding who the tenant's going to be. So that, that doesn't, that's not great. And you, I like to have the control. Yeah. How, how, what is your tenant selection process? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, when I started, I didn't really have a good selection process. Um, and that's actually part of the reason why Ryan and I um, founded Avail was to help educate landlords on the process. And we, we built that software specifically to help ourselves as well. So my, my process has evolved as we've been building that and doing what we think is the right thing for landlords. So I, I start with um, a rental application that most people would. I ask for um, proof of income. I ask for rental histories. I call those rental histories. Um, I get, I ask for um, uh, a bunch of information around who they are, who's living there. Do they have pets? Pets? Do they smoke? Those kinds of things. Um, and once I receive that information back, um, I'll do a showing with them. Um, tougher now with the pandemic, the showings, we can talk about that later if you want, but no, in normal conditions, I, I, I do a one-on-one showing with potential tenants, let them see the place, let them get a feel for, do they like it? Do they not like it? Get a feel for, do, can I feel comfortable with them living in the building? Um, and then if they go through that and they still want to rent the place, then I'll have them authorize a credit and background check. Um, I do all of those online through our own software, but um, they essentially authorize it, comes back in real time, and I can see if they've got um, any criminal records or um, evictions. Uh, to me, I actually think evictions is one of the things I never used to look at, and now I realize how important that is. Um, and then I'll look at their credit score as well. You know, I, I tend to think of my rentals as issuing out mini loans. So I'm letting someone live in there um, up front, and then they're paying for that over time. So um, I, I look at how they've treated other creditors, and that's, I'm assuming that's how they'll treat me as a creditor. So um, I look at those things. Um, and once they've authorized all those things, then it's just a conversation with them about the lease. So 
And I think of that as still part of the screening process. Here are the terms, here's the rent, here's how um, I expect you to pay, here's the timeliness of those payments that I'm expecting. And I listen for like what questions they have and what feedback they may have. If they're pushing back on those things, then maybe it's not a good fit. So I take the screening process all the way through until they've signed the lease um, and even paid their first month's rent. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, have there been any instances where, you know, you maybe thought this might not be a good fit, took it anyways, you know, any like disaster stories like that? Uh, well, <laughs> none that have turned into a disaster yet. I, I took a couple tenants recently um, uh, who were both in the service industry and now we have the pandemic going on. And so I took them in the midst of the pandemic, knowing they were they're in the service industry. So I knew that there's the chance that potentially they lose their jobs or um, they have to take pay cuts. And so I'm going into it knowing that, Hey, I might, they may miss a month or two of rent. Um, and I've planned that in my financial models and, and I'm ready for that. And I don't want that to happen and that hasn't happened yet. So it's not a disaster story, but it's one now that kind of keeps me up at night thinking that it could mm -hmm. happen at any moment. Um, and I guess fingers crossed that it doesn't for them and for me. I mean, I don't want them to lose their jobs just to pay, you know, it's not just about paying their rent. Like, I don't want them to lose their jobs because they, they need to keep those for themselves. Right. It's their livelihood. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of landlords, I think nowadays are worried about, you know, filling their units because there is, you know, a moratorium on rents and on evictions. And mm -hmm. how are you, you know, combating that with your financial modeling, with your analysis? Yeah, I mean, great question. You know, the CDC recently um, put a moratorium on evictions. So I think everyone's taking it very seriously. Um, one thing that's important for people to note is like tenants don't want to skip paying rent. They, they do feel that moral obligation and um, they try to uphold it. So the only times that they don't pay is when they absolutely can't. Um, there's always exceptions to that. You may get like a tenant who just says, you know, whatever and takes advantage of the system. But most tenants by far and large aren't that. So you can bank on your tenants are going to be whoever they've been with you while they've been living there the last 12 months or two years or whatever it is. If they've been great tenants before, they're going to continue being great tenants. And so it really comes down to how did you screen them to begin with? Because if you screen them really well and they were great tenants last year, they're going to still be great tenants. And that, that's been my ethos is good tenant screening um, is a cure-all in a way. And, um, you know, I rent to people who I feel are very responsible. They've proved that they're responsible. Um, and I think they're going to continue being responsible. Not everyone has that luxury, obviously. And so if you've got um, a rental property where you haven't been screening tenants, yeah, I'd be more concerned and more worried. And um, then it comes down to communication because the last thing you want is to be blindsided by it. And so I think a lot of landlords are afraid to start talking with their tenants because they feel like if I mention something to my tenants, then they're just going to stop paying because they feel like I've opened the door. And I don't think that's the case. Um, if they were going to stop paying, they're going to stop paying. And it's better that you know a month in advance than, you know, the day before your mortgage is due. So um, if you're nervous about it, talk to, the, talk to your tenants. Uh, that communication is important. And um, if need be, work out a plan with them and your tenants are willing. So one thing that we had encouraged our landlords to, we've got 200,000 landlords who use us. And um, so when the, when the pandemic started, um, we put out a lot of information on how, what should you do if you're worried and what kind of things. Um, so we actually suggested um, finding that compromise. And our, our solution was um, allow them to put their rent on a credit card. And the compromise part is let the landlord cover the credit card fee and the financing fee. 
um, because those are those are large amounts that a tenant doesn't want to pay. But at least you're getting the rent. The tenant's feeling like they accomplished paying their rent. You've got something, and just discount the rent by the amount of the financing fee, um, and that gets everybody past a hoop a little bit. Uh, maybe it kicks the can down the road a bit, but at least it's something. So, but communication is the start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a um, creative way to get around the issue that I haven't heard people talk about yet. So, you know, I like that you made that available to your landlords. And going back to something you mentioned, I think if they have the luxury of really screening the tenants is key, right? And mm-hmm. it's so cool that Avail has, you know, background checks built in. Is that right? How does that yeah, work? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, we pretty, pretty much do soup to nuts on helping landlords manage their rental properties. So for us, it starts at the very beginning. If you know tenants are uh, moving out and you have an upcoming vacancy, you obviously want to fill that vacancy. So we typically have landlords come on and create a listing with us. It's all self-service. So they come in, they add their own photos, their own description. Um, and we know that Avail doesn't attract a lot of tenants. That's not really the point. What we'll do is take that listing and we put it across the entire web for them. So we'll syndicate it to Zillow, Trulia, Hotpads, Apartments.com, Zumper, everywhere that tenants are currently looking. Um, and all of those leads across those different websites automatically flow back into Avail. So you're not having to log into each of those accounts every day to repost or see what's happening or answer emails from 10 different websites. You're just doing it all through the Avail system in one place. Nice. Um, and then that's, that's the start of the screening process because then you've now opened up a conversation with prospective tenants and um, you want to start just by asking them simple questions. Who's living in the place? What date are you looking to move in? And make sure that they saw the rent amount and your requirements that you ask for an application. And if they do all those things, then great. Now you can kind of organize a showing or have them fill out the rental application. And um, all automated in our system. Uh, what's really great is those leads flow in. It's one button click to ask a tenant to complete an application. They go on. They have their own account. They can control what data they're sending, who they're sending it to. Um, I think part of us, the huge benefit was bringing back um, control and transparency to renters. So we give them full capability of revoking access to applications. We don't let landlords see the social security numbers. Um, A lot of times like landlords will have that on a paper form. They'll take the form and it just sits on their desk or maybe makes its way into a dumpster and that's not safe. So we, um, we pride ourselves on, on giving tenants the same rights that landlords have that use our system. And so they'll complete everything, authorize it completely secure. Um, and then from there, everything else is done uh, via our system as well. So the landlord can download, um, well, sorry, not really a download. It's more of a use one of our state specific leases. They customize it and then it's signed online. Um, and then they can download it if they want, but it's stored online. So you don't really have to worry about that. And then tenants log in, pay their rent through the, their portal. So it made this rest of the portal. So, um, and you can use that in the future to know, do I want to continue renting to this tenant or not? So there's a, there's a cycle there that we look at. Nice. Um, I like that you said that you have state-specific leases, right? Because it differs all across the nation. Um, is it customizable in terms of the screening process? Can you know I, as a landlord, add or take away certain questions? Um, you know, and in California, like in Oakland, here we don't necessarily aren't allowed to do a background check. So, would it be able? Would I be able to use a veil? Um, in my state, in my city. Yeah, absolutely. And um, 
it's not just state specific either. A lot of our stuff is city specific. Some cities um, have their own laws and regulations as well and ordinances. So um, I think we're in all 50 states and then I think we're in the top 100, 150 cities um, by population. So pretty much no matter where, and the smaller cities don't tend to have their own regulations. So pretty much wherever you are in the United States, it, it's going to work for you. Um, and then yeah, our application is entirely customizable. So you would choose whether you want just a rental application questionnaire, just a credit report, credit background, uh, criminal background check, eviction check, you choose which of any of those you want. And then you can customize the questions that get asked in the questionnaire. So if you want to know if they smoke, um, that's one you can keep. If you don't care about that, you can take it out. Um, you can add your own questions. Everything is customizable. Very nice. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to go back to just that screening because I feel like it's such an important step in the process. Um, 90% of being a landlord, I'd say. Right. And if you do it right, the potential headaches that you're worried about might not even ever come up for you, right? So it's so important to take care of that in the beginning. And I was wondering if, you know, do you always call the references? Yeah. So I used to call them. Um, and I, I thought that was pretty valuable. And so I'd call the current landlord. And oftentimes um, you have to kind of take what that landlord says with a, a little bit of nuance because they, they, they may not like that tenant and just say that's great to get them out of there. Um, sometimes that landlord doesn't know that they're moving and then gets agitated. So you always want to call the current, but call at least one or two prior to that just to get a sense for it. So I used to do that. Um, stopped doing that when we built Avail because Avail will automatically do that for our landlords now. So it'll send a text and an email to the prior landlords for you and, and all, it's automated. So uh, that took a huge burden off me because I don't like calling people. It's, you know, I, uh, I have a huge fear of calling strangers. And so this has been great for me. Yeah, I love that Avail does that because I think same for me too. I think I have some like social phobia where I don't like talking on the phone, especially to a stranger. But I found that it's so important to do that because sometimes mm -hmm. people will put, you know, just like their friends or somebody on there. And it's like, would you really want to rent to somebody who is already being dishonest to you? Exactly. Right? exactly. But that's so cool. So how does that work? Um, they fill out the application with their prior, let's say, landlord's information, and then Avail will text them and email them, and you'll get that back in the Avail um, platform? Yeah, that's right. So um, they'll get a request from the tenant um, with a link. That link takes them directly to like an online form that they can fill out and complete. Um, behind the scenes, we're checking some of the data that was provided to us, so the phone number, name, email address of that landlord, we bump that up against some data to make sure that it's truly who they are and not the tenants just putting their friend on there. So, um, and we do catch that once in a while and then we'll kick that application. We try to our best kick that application back. So that's ever evolving. Um, but yeah, it's really, really automated. You just click a link, answer five questions. You can write a quick description if you want. Um, it can be done in two minutes by the prior landlord. Nice. I love it. You're making it easier for, you know, the new landlord, but also the previous landlord too, to get that out of the way. Yeah. And one thing I think that we do that's really nice about it too, is if that prior landlord um, confirms the payment histories for us, um, we'll go ahead and report that to the credit bureaus as well. So um, we do that when tenants pay their rent through our system, because we know that they've paid on time and all those things. Um, and that makes its way to the credit bureau and improves their credit score. Uh, but if we can get that same information from a prior landlord, we'll do that as well. Okay, gotcha. I'm glad you brought up rent because I was wondering, does Avail take a portion of um, rent if paid through the portal? No, we don't. 
Um, for the most part, our service is free. <clears throat> so we, um, we don't charge landlords or tenants to use our features or anything. You can sign up at all your units for free. There are some premium features that landlords opt for, and then they upgrade to uh, $5 per unit per month. Um, that's for people who are looking for more customization than the average person, uh, maybe looking for a little bit more professionalism, um, looking for things to be a little uh, faster sometimes. So I'm thinking of like rent payments, for instance, typically it's three business days to process it. If you upgrade, it's one business day. Um, so there's those things. And then we also make money on the credit reports too. So tenants will pay $55 for the, uh, depending on what options the landlord selected. Uh, the tenant may pay up to $55 for the, the credit report background check and eviction check. Gotcha. Yeah, nice. Like $5 a unit a month is very affordable. If you yeah, much it. cheaper than a property manager for sure. Right. They're going to take anywhere, you know, from 5 to 8%, depending how many units you have with them. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. And, that, and that is part of why we did this. You know, uh, when I had the first three units and we were starting Avail, um, I couldn't afford a property manager. It would put me in the red for the property. And, and uh, although it would have been great to truly make this a passive income and push it off to someone else to do the work, I just, it wouldn't have made sense financially. I can't, I couldn't afford it. And so we started looking at, well, what tools can do, do property managers use and have access to? And can we just build those for free and mimic what a property manager does, but for free or for much cheaper? And, um, I think we're close. Uh, I mean, some of the areas we're missing is we don't do the physical showing. Um, I'm not sure if property managers, you know, like leasing agents, um, sometimes outsource that to much cheaper people anyway. So I feel like why can't our landlords just do that? Maybe have the tenant do the showing. So we're working our way through all the features and um, uh, empowering do-it-yourself landlords to do it themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love it. Um, I'm glad you brought up showing too, because earlier you said we could talk through the showing process, right? Sure. Uh, with the pandemic, you mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, well, historically, I felt like showings are super important. Um, for the renter, they should always go look at the place. There's so much fraud in the industry that the only surefire way to know it's not fraud is to physically be inside the unit and know that the person there is authorized to manage it or owns it. Um, there's so much scam around, hey, you know, I'm out of town, just go look through the windows and then wire me $1,000. And people, people do that. And the, them, they lose money. And so for the renter, they should always go visit it. Um, even now during the pandemic, honestly, if they can, they should, they should go do it or figure out a way to virtually get inside the unit where you can trust that you're, what you're seeing is real time. So now, um, nowadays, if you can do like as a live zoom with a landlord at the very least, you should do that. Um, but that's the only way to curtail fraud on their side. And then on the landlord side, it's super important because that's your opportunity to get to know that tenant. Um, it's almost like a, um, like a, a friendly date in a way where you can get a sense for how are they going to treat you and how are you going to treat them when you're in a business transaction later? And, um, are they courteous when they come past to view the place? Do they say, thank you for showing me? Do they even say hello? Do they introduce themselves? Um, if it looks like it's a place where you would take your shoes off, do they, you know, there's lots of little things you can tell based, uh, to see how they're going to treat the property, how they're going to treat you. Um, and that's harder to do now uh, with like a virtual or Zoom showing. So you've got to get creative in, in those things. Um, and one other thing that I liked about showings previously is that was an incentive for my existing tenants to clean up. So oftentimes I would send them like a 20 buck or $25 gift card that would be like, hey, can you make sure the place is clean? I'm doing showings. And 
that was a lot of motivation for them. Uh, one, to not be embarrassed by its dirt, and two, to have 20 bucks or 25 bucks. Um, and then I, I had moved to having them assist with showings for the, the pandemic, um, and then just asking them for their feedback on the renter. And it's actually been amazing how cooperative your existing tenants can be. Um, they can be a huge resource and ally for you. Nice, yeah. Um, I think it's so important what you said to be able to see someone face to face because they could, you know, be very polite and say all the right things on email, but be completely different in person, right? So, Absolutely. Um, is there any way because I have, you know, personally seen these types of scam listings on Craigslist and whatnot? How is Avail, you know, preventing that from appearing on your platform? Yeah. Uh, well, <clears throat> I mean, we, everyone's trying to do their best in the industry. And for some reason, it's just so prevalent and so hard. Um, I think we do a really good job at removing fraud. Um, and we have to because we take those listings and we put them everywhere. So if we miss one, it affects so many people. Um, so we've built a series of algorithms that detect fraud. And we look at anomalous behavior, anomalous data, um, things like what's the rent price versus what it should be. We look at um, behavior of how they, what they click on when they're on the website. Are they clicking on weird things? Um, did they just sign up, but yet they know exactly where to go? Um, that, you know, like that's an indicator that maybe something is off there. Um, we do ask for some information to validate their identity. So anyone who tries to publish a listing or accept rent through our website does have to provide some personal information that we check against some government agencies and those things. So um, I think we go way above and beyond what anyone else in the industry is doing. Uh, and I think we have to because of how many places we put listings. So um, if a listing's on avail, it's, there's a ch always a chance that it could be fraudulent, but it's so much less likely than anywhere else. Yeah, hopefully you can provide a little bit of peace of mind because I mm -hmm. see those listings and I see people commenting about how they fell for the scams. And I'm like, this is terrible. You know, yeah, and our, like our very said, first year when we built the product and it was just me and Ryan and uh, we started doing our own customer service, someone called in and said, hey, I'm outside with my moving truck. Um, I wired the $5,000 security deposit, but it looks like the prior tenants haven't moved out. And it, it turns out that was never a real property. That's a home and those people live there and they're not renting it. And this person's stuck with their movers with nowhere to live and having lost $5,000. And uh, that happened to us like six, seven years ago. And um, ever since then, we got so scarred by that just emotionally that we've done so much to try to remove fraud from the industry. We just, we couldn't live uh, knowing that more listings like that could go up through us. So we take it very seriously. Yeah, I, I bet that is, you know, crushing to hear. But mm -hmm. also it's like, wow, um, was, were you able to help them out of their situation at the time? I mean, there's nothing we could do about putting them in a house that day um, or anything. Um, and I'm trying to remember the exact course of action we took. I think at the very least we, we uh, refunded them the, the $5,000 because what else can you do? Uh, it's a mm -hmm. free website. We had um, like... It's not like we can refund them their subscription fee. So we, we did the best. We've had <clears throat> one other incidence of fraud occur on the website where we um, for $500. So that's been the extent of it really that we've had to bear for customers. So um, I think it just speaks to honestly the team we have. Back then it was just me and Ryan. We didn't know what we were doing. But now we have a huge team that 
is dedicated to this. We have a, a fraud specialist who's constantly thinking about this and a payment specialist right. who's thinking about payments. And you have to have dedicated people out there thinking about it, trying to outsmart the fraudsters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, security is so important. But I think I'm wondering if, you know, maybe you had that experience so early in your avail career maybe that's why you know building it out in the last like six or seven years you've made sure to -hmm. get it you know as as possible yeah we had some competitors who i whether you want to call it luck or not who um, weren't as lucky to be scammed early on and they didn't build that into their culture and then they got bigger and they got more famous and then all of a sudden hundreds or tens of millions of dollars out the door and they lost way more money than they can cover for their customers and they went bankrupt. They lost um, a lot of landlords money. And so you, I think in some ways we were very lucky that that occurred very early. Mm-hmm. I'm sure though, even though, you know, looking back, it's like a blessing almost mm-hmm. to have had that. It wouldn't, it must not have been easy at the time. You know, what kind of got you through all that? Yeah, uh, it certainly wasn't easy. Um, and at that time it was just Ryan and myself. So um, I, I think we felt good around how we handled it with the customer. Um, and then it was probably a night or two of some stiff whiskeys and thinking about what can we live like this? What do we want to change? Um, and we did spend a lot of time thinking about what culture we wanted to build um, and how we wanted to do the right thing by both landlords and renters. I think that's why we have a big renter focus now. Um, and then we've got several core values that I think that came out of that, that speak to this. So, you know, with customer centricity is probably our number one core value. We always put the customer first. Integrity is a second core value. We try to bring a lot of integrity and transparency to the rental market. Um, that's probably, that's part of our mission um, is to bring that transparency. So it's, it's certainly shaped everything. And I think that's how we got through it is, you know, we can sit here and be sad and upset or we can, keep going and try to make lasting real change. And and I'm happy we, we took the path of let's, let's build our culture around this. Yeah. I love that you guys decided to do something about the problem, right? Because if you gave up then, you know, there's still going to be scammers and whatnot out there and people are going to be having to deal with this issue, but at least you're doing something to try to mitigate it. Yeah. Well, Ryan and I are too stubborn to give up, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So what now is your goal for, you know, Avail? Are you looking to, you already have 200,000 landlords. Are you looking to like expand that or? Yeah. um, I mean, our goal has always been to um, improve the renting experience for landlords and renters. And, you know, we think about how do you do that long term? Who needs it the most um, right now? Um, so we, we, we started with customers like ourselves cause we're do it yourself landlords and, uh, they're probably most in need. They don't have access to tools. They don't really have access to a process or forms. Um, they're making all sorts of mistakes. So our initial goal was let's fix it for do it yourself landlords. Let's give them the tools, process and education that they need to be successful. And if we can do that, we can get enough of them where it might make sense to bring this up market and expand into the entire rental industry. Um, and I think we're hovering the cost of, do we go um, bring this now to slightly larger landlords? The thing is 200,000 landlords sounds like a lot, but there's actually 8 million do it yourself landlords out there. So in some ways we've, we've actually got a lot left to go. Um, can, we can never get all 8 million, obviously, uh, but 200,000 is a lot, but still kind of the surface um, I think for us. Yeah, and that's really exciting. So I love that you're 
you know, trying to help out these do-it-yourself landlords. Is there educational or support on your website um, for these landlords? You're saying, you know, a lot of times they're lost or they don't know what to do and they're making these mistakes. Um, is there is there support for them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we've got a lot of it. So I think we're the only company out there with 24-7 support So and a live agent. So um, like we'll answer emails and live chat 24-7. And then we have phone service. I think the only company out there with phone service from nine to five during the week. And I think Saturday, Sunday's too now. Um, so like that's part of our core value customers first. We want to be available, be when they, there when they need us. Um, if a rent payment goes haywire for some reason, we need to be able to fix it immediately before money get, goes to the wrong place. So uh, we take that seriously. If a tenant can't fill out a rental application for some reason and you're going to lose that tenant because of it, that's super important. Um, so there's a huge amount of support that we offer. And then in terms of education, we've built that into our process. So every single step, when you're creating your listing, we're going to show you how to create the listing description, how to create a listing title. We explain why photos are important, how to get good photos. Um, we explain how to set a rent price, you know, and determine based on whether the, it's a renter's market or a landlord's market has a different location for your price that you set. Um, we explain all of the tenant screening stuff, what reports are important, why they're important, what things aren't important. Um, all of that's baked into the process. And then on top of that, we have, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of pages of guides and educational material that anybody can see even without having signed up. So um, we take, um, for one, that helped us learn and we wanted to pass that knowledge on that um, that's how a lot of landlords find us in the first place is through our educational and online learning opportunities. Yeah, it sounds like a great resource for, you know, someone who's just getting started or thinking about becoming a landlord, or maybe you've somehow stumbled upon and become a landlord, but aren't prepared, haven't done the research yourself yet. I think, you know, the avail website, and just your whole process seems to really walk people through. Um, would you have any additional um, recommendations for someone looking to get started as a landlord, as a DIY landlord? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is going to sound very cliche. I think that if, if someone's considering becoming a real estate investor or a landlord, um, I think Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad is a really great place to start. I think it really helps um, in two levels. One, helping you think about what you're about to do as a business, which makes you think about revenue and expenses and how to grow and it's not just a hobby, it's a, it's a real thing. I think that's um, instrumental. And then two, it helps you think about the numbers. He's got a very famous saying where, you know, an asset is something that puts money in your pocket, liability is something that takes money out of your pocket. So you think about a primary residence is a mortgage you're paying out every month takes money out. Whereas a rent, rental property puts money in, you'd hope. Otherwise, it's not an asset. And so if you can start to think about one as a business, two, you've got to make sure that it's putting money in your pocket every month. Um, or you're just wasting your time and money. I think those are instrumental and his book really does a great job of framing that. Mm -hmm, right. And the whole ESBI quadrant, right? What yeah, exactly. actually is a business, <laughs> not what you just think is a business. You might be exactly. creating just a job for yourself. <laughs> yeah. I remember when I was working at Goldman, um, I had his little quadrant written on a piece of paper pinned up on my thing. And I was new at like, I want to get out of this quadrant at some point and, uh, then started a business and realized this is a lot harder than what I was doing. So, For sure. Yeah. But you know, rich dad, poor dad is a great place to start. If any of you listening haven't read it yet, I would definitely recommend you 
go check it out. And is there anything we haven't covered today yet, Lawrence, that you want to talk about? No, I think this was a good list of topics. Um, if anyone's interested in learning more about Aveo, uh, they can sort of just come straight to the website. It's free, so there's not really anything to lose. It's uh, Avail, A-V-A-I-L dot C-O. Um, and I'm happy for anyone who's listening and wants to talk with me about my experiences or anything like that. They can reach me directly at my email, which is lawrence at avail.co. So L-A-U-R-E-N-C-E at avail.co. Awesome. And both of those will be linked in the show notes. So check there if you would like to check out Avail or reach out to Lawrence directly. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Great. Thank you so much for having me.